And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 233 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I'm Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, I love this one. The 1985 Giants, they hit 233 as a team. That was the team that lost 100 games. And they were so bad, they had to make a switch at manager. Who did they bring in but Roger Craig? So we get to pay our respects to Roger Craig, one of the most important managers in Giants history. Wow, what a timely Easter egg. That's a very good find by you. Yeah, especially since I did it like two seconds before the pod started. (laughs) The 1985 Giants are just a fascinating team. Uh, That was the season where the Giants went to a mostly day game schedule, right? They they thought, okay, candlesticks cold. How can we get around this? Let's do day games at least six days out of the week when they are a homestand. Um, They're... Also, I'm trying to think of how many games they won at home. Uh, They won, let me see if I can pull it up real quick. They won 38 games at home, so not bad. But of those, nine were walk-offs. So like when they won, they made a count, and then they'd go on the road and just lose like the Oakland A's of this year. Um, But a fascinating team. But then that's what got Roger Craig out of retirement um, and, and in the manager seat, and he was outstanding. Wow, I'm just looking at stats from that year because I was curious. 233, what did the league hit? And the league hit 257. And the Giants hit 233, which was last. And last by a good wide margin because the next lowest was the Phillies at 245. So, yeah, that team really could not hit. (laughs) Um, 1985, good times. But uh, now the Giants are hitting 247 and the league average is 247. The league is hitting 10 points lower now than it was in 1985, which, you know, maybe is a little bit better than it was in the last couple of years with uh, some of the uh, rule changes with shifts and stuff. But um, yeah, that's a, that's a good place to start. I think it's always sort of fun to look back and see, you know, what are some of like the, the big sort of like pivotal moments uh, that changed the franchise or changed the direction of the franchise. And you can look at Barry Bonds' free agent contract in 1993. Of course, Peter McGowan uh, and his group buying the team and keeping them from moving away to Florida. Um, you could look at drafting Buster Posey. I mean, there's just so many of those sort of moments that that uh, stand out as kind of full stop. Okay, we're moving in a new direction moment. And and hiring Roger Craig maybe isn't one of the first things you think of. But, you know, I, I love the piece you wrote about just how 
he made baseball fun again because he was just the optimist that they needed in, in a really kind of junky situation where everyone was sort of woe is me about the ballpark, about the state of the franchise. And, you know, it remind, reminded me a little bit, and this is obviously a little more sinister, but um, uh, of the Astros hiring Dusty Baker. It's like, we just need someone with some good vibes here <laughs> who can turn this thing around uh, or in their case, sort of distract from some of their misdeeds. Uh, but um, Roger Craig, I think, was kind of the Dusty before Dusty, literally. Yeah, I, I was when I was researching, uh, I was doing a little bit of this before for a different reason, but uh, just the positivity, just when I when I was, you know, what, 10, 11, 12, whatever, I'm not thinking about how important that could be. But the giant situation at the time, when you're talking about 1985, everyone in that clubhouse is miserable, not just because they're losing 100 games, but because they go out and they hit a ball and they think they got it on the screws and it, it dies in the warning track in the wind. Or they're going out there and it's July and it's 55 degrees and windy and you can't warm up. You can't get that arm loose and you have a bad outing. That's what's going on. That's how you're losing 100 games. You get to blame the boogeyman at Candlestick Park. And they needed someone to come in and go, no, no, no. We're fine. We're good. Let's let's just have fun. Let's just keep it going. We've got talent on this team. They also got Al Rosen that year. Al Rosen said right away in his first interviews, the problem is not the talent. The problem is the mindset. The problem is the attitude. Let's fix that. And they did. They got the right guy for it. And every article I read from when he was with the Tigers was just about what a positive force he was in the clubhouse uh, as the pitching coach for the champion 1984 Tigers. So, Sometimes you nail a hire, and that's one of those hires that they nailed. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's also, I think, uh, instructive just to go back and remember what the franchise was like then, what attendance was like then. And, you know, the fact that they had a slogan, which was hang in there, which <laughs> is <was> just hilarious <laughs> to think back of. I mean, one of my favorite stories, and it, it, I'm, I'm glad that we've gotten the chance to reference it a few times, that I wrote during the pandemic when we were all just sort of in, in um, I guess, uh, sort of, you know, write anything we can mode. Um, was looking back on the, you know, the evolution of the, you got to like these kids slogans and, and Pat Gallagher, who'd been with the Giants, you know, forever and was their marketing mind. Um, and I, you know, going back and, and, and reminiscing with him about some of the slogans they came up with, you know, I think my favorite one was, like you said, in 85, when they moved all the uh, games to day games to sort of become the Chicago Cubs of the West and try to get people out in the sunshine, they're that their slogan was real grass, real sunshine, real baseball. And then they're 10 games out in May. And I think it was Nick Peters who said, well, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh, man, that's so good. My my favorite tidbit that I found when researching this uh, was I read this piece about uh, he retired from the Tigers after the 94 or 84 uh, World Series win. He had this huge uh, property in San Diego, like just a sprawling uh, horses and all, all the good stuff. And he was looking forward to retiring there. His wife was looking forward to retiring there. So it took really like there was no guarantee that he would come back to baseball. But my favorite tidbit is that his wife went by Carolyn. But her given name was Ruth. And do you want to know what her brother's name was? I do not know. And I do want to know. George Herman. Really? Interesting. So their pair, you know, her, her mom and or dad was so into baseball that they named one kid Ruth and one kid George Herman uh, in honor of Babe Ruth. I love that. I mean, of course, that daughter's going to grow up and marry a major league baseball player. I just love that so much. I mean, it's probably better that uh, uh, their favorite player was Babe Ruth and not Heine Manoush, I guess. <laughs> 
Aloysius Bucket Fist, uh, Aloysius Bucketfoot Simmons. You know, you got yes. uh, Aloysius Dummy here. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We could go off the rails on that one. All right, let's let's switch gears and talk about the current state of the Giants. Since we've last talked, uh, they dropped two series at home to uh, uh, pretty good, surprisingly good, uh, varying surprisingly good teams. Uh, is it time to panic again, or is this just the normal hiccups of a 500 team? I mean, that's they're kind of they kind of are a 500 team. That's sort of they, they haven't been able to put the that kind of momentum together uh, over a sustained period. I mean, they certainly had a good May where they finished, you know, what five games over, I think, and, and were able to wipe out being five games under in April. Uh, but I mean, the next step is for them to you know go on a little bit of a winning streak, and I think that's that's tough to do when you're missing as many pieces in the rotation as they're missing right now. And you know, the point I made was. They lost. Uh, they fell behind early. Anthony DiSclefani didn't have it. Uh, he he was walking guys. He walked in a run. I mean, this is a guy who hadn't issued more than two walks in the start all season. So it was very uncharacteristic from him. I, as long as he's healthy, uh, which he says he was, then you know you can probably chalk a, that up to a one-off. But um, you know the Giants need to come back and win some of those games. You know, and and, and uh, you know I was talking to Blake Sable and he hit a homer that got him at least a little bit back in in a game that they were trailing by seven runs and. And, and he thought, you know, when's the last time we won a game where we came back from, from that many runs? And, and teams don't win many of those games. I mean, you know, your record is going to be really bad when you give up seven or more runs. But in the Giants' case, it's fatally bad. They are 0-17. They have not won a game all season in which they give up seven-plus runs. So, you know, they're going to Coors Field, and sometimes you got to win those games there. And it's going to be up to more than just the rookies to carry them. It's going to be up to, I think, I think this is the, the month where the hitters have to step up a little bit and score some more runs and, and, and win some more high-scoring games when when they have to win that way. And uh, if if they can't do that, then, you know, it's, it's going to be hard for them to, you know, I guess, rattle off series wins. Because that's that's the difference between a good team and a bad team is, is finding a way to win that rubber match and taking two out of three rather than having two out of three taken from you. So, um, yeah, so this is a, a big series coming up, I think, at Coors Field. Yeah, I, I like what you wrote after the series finale uh, against the Orioles, where it just can't be the rookies. Specifically because with Patrick Bailey and Casey Schmidt, it was fun while it was going on. And it was a ton of fun. And no one wants to read me or to read you talk about how it's not going to last. We could just sort of hint at it, where we're looking at, oh, okay, Casey Schmidt's 400 batting average on balls in play combined with one walk and almost 100 plate appearances. That's probably not going to last. You know, he probably has to make an adjustment. Patrick Bailey, it's not dissimilar. Probably not going to last. He's probably going to have to make an adjustment. Well, the adjustment time is here. They're both in pretty gnarly slumps. And what that means is you're going to have to get Mitch Handiger going. You're going to have to get Brandon Crawford going. That is what's going to have to happen because you also can't assume that Lamont Wade Jr. is uh, Joey Votto now. You know, you also can't assume that this is going to happen and this guy's going to stay healthy and J.D. Davis is going to keep hitting close to 300 all year. There's a lot of different variables here. And you're going to have to get some of the players you were really expecting to carry the team, like Mitch Haniger, going. Because if it's not Schmidt and it's not Bailey, it's got to be someone. Yeah, and I think you could throw Tyro Estrada in there too. They're going to get him back from the injured list, and you can't automatically assume that he's going to, 
you know, hit 330 and be a contact wizard all season long either. And it's going to be interesting to see what, you know, I think we all are sort of eager to, I don't know, move on and see uh, more Schmidt, more Bailey. Let's get Luis Matos up here, Kyle Harrison. But you know, if this team is going to do anything this year, Brandon Crawford's going to have to contribute. Jock Peterson's going to have to contribute. And, you know, you can't just move on from these guys. They are still a part of the here and now. And Mike Yastrzemski, same thing. Uh, you know, he's he was off to a really, really good start before he uh, hurt the hamstring in Mexico City. And, and he was dealing with a little bit of a side tightness there. But, I mean, he's, he's a guy who is a huge input on this team. And, you know, Austin Slater, having him stay healthy and, and, and thrive in the role that he's uh, thrived so well in the last few years. Uh, they got to reestablish that too. So, um, you know, I, I just think there, there's the potential. There's a lot of power potential up and down this lineup. Uh, even uh, when you look at someone like Sable and his ability to put a charge in a baseball, but they're probably going to have to, um, you know, get a few guys really sizzling at the same time. And it can't just be the rookies, as you say. Yeah, it can't just be the rookies. I will, uh, I, while it's right to be skeptical, uh, about Schmidt's ability to hit at the, at the ultra ultra high level that he was hitting, and and Patrick Bailey coming up, and all of a sudden he's a wizard against uh, left-handed pitching somehow. Those things maybe aren't what the Giants should put their faith in. Uh, but I'll push back. Uh, Luis Matos, he's got he's he's got to come up. Like he's the savior. He's the one. He's the one, Andy. He's the one. <laughs> He's Neo. Yeah. Sitting 397 now in Sacramento. It's It's been pretty amazing. And, you know, this is a guy who was really struggling to hit his weight in Eugene last year. Um, I asked Patrick Bailey, I said, you know, you saw a lot of, of him last year when he was struggling and you got to see the start of things at Richmond, you know, this year. I said, what's the difference? I mean, how, how does he, how is, is, does, does he make such a big year-over-year adjustment? And Bailey said, he got out of Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> Is that really that tough of a place to hit? I mean, you know, I, I think that everyone kind of struggled there. I, I said, well, Von Brown hit in Eugene. He's like, well, yeah, that doesn't count. Von Brown can hit anywhere. Uh, so, But that was Bailey's thing. It's like Jimmy Glowenke, a lot of these guys just struggled in Eugene, and now you see them um, uh, you know, I guess, uh, thriving, uh, as they've moved up the ladder. So I don't know. I mean, maybe there is something to it. It, it early in the season. It's a very tough place to play. I think it was a short season league for a reason in the Northwest league. They made it into a full season league and someone forgot to tell them that it kind of rains still every day until the, basically <laughs> the end of May. So the first couple of months are, 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 are really chopped up. They were able to get uh, stay on the field a little bit better this year than they were last year. Uh, but I mean, there were times last year when they were playing two games a week, you know, it's, it was just, they were rained out again and again. And it's a little bit tough that, you know, they have to share their facility with the University of Oregon baseball team, which is obviously uh, will take precedence when they have regionals or playoffs or things like that. So um, there are some challenges, I think there, but you know, it's, it's not so much the, the league as, as you know, just the, the ability to see different pitch shapes and, and compete on a daily basis. And yeah, that's tougher when there's six umpires for the whole league and, and half of them have pretty bad strike zones. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that was it was funny. That was what Bailey said is like, yeah, he got out of Eugene. That That's what he did. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And while we're on the subject of Von Brown, last year he played for three different teams. He played for San Jose, Eugene, Richmond. Uh, He had an OPS of 1,059. This year he's come back from injury. He's played for three teams. He's played for San Jose, Eugene, Richmond. His OPS is 1,062. So he's increased his OPS by .003. He might be good. Yeah, he did take a, a, I think, a bad um, hit by pitch the other day, and he was taken out of the game. So hopefully, there's nothing too uh, lingering there. Uh, I hope and the he's ball's gone. Okay. He, yeah, right. <laughs> and he's he's gone back to wearing the uh, the ninja neck gaiter too. So um, you know, maybe, maybe he's uh, he realizes that's that's some good mojo for him there. All right. So what are the Giants uh, going to do? It's early. It's early. It's it's June 6th. We have almost two months to talk about this. Deadline, though. I mean, is it too early? Is there a chance the Giants could jump the market on someone? Is there... uh, I I was just on my other podcast with the other Andy, and he was saying the Giants should trade for Paul Goldschmidt. And I I pushed back a little bit on that because Lamont Wade Jr. is, of course, uh, Joey Votto now. Um, But should the Giants be exploring a way to jump the market? Or is it way too early to think about anything right now? I mean... The Cardinals are 25 and 36. They they got on a really big hot streak and I think they cooled off. I don't know. I think it's it's still too early. You know, I mean, how many teams are can you say legitimately are out of it? Um uh well, the A's. Um the <laughs> the Kansas City Royals are 18 and 42. Probably not going to climb back into it. But after that, I mean, okay, the Nationals are 25 and 34 and they're in division with a team that's 11 games over. So that that may be a, a tough climb. But even the Cardinals, I mean, they're eight games out. Um, and the Pirates are leading the Central uh, five games over 500. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't see a whole lot of other teams that have really fallen out uh, of the picture to where they're going to obviously be sellers. And, and how much will they have to sell anyway? I mean, you can go pick up a Joe Barlow here or you know, maybe, maybe um, like a, a Giolito if, if the White Sox can't put anything together. But even the White Sox are 26 and 35. They're only 5.5 games out. So I don't know. I think it's still way too early to really try to handicap where, you know, where the players are going to be or, or what deals can possibly be made and, and what the appetite of teams uh, will be who are sort of on the fringes because it's, I mean, there is that extra playoff spot still. I feel like what I'm about to say is there's going to be thunder rumbling in the dist- distance because it sounds especially jinxy. But I just don't see, when I look at the Giants roster, I don't see necessarily where you fit another player in if it's not someone who is uh, like a Dylan Cease or someone who is clearly better than the options that you have. Because I'm also looking at the roster and I'm thinking, well, how do they make room for Luis Matos? And that, that's kind of tricky. You've got this guy and you'd have to bring this guy. Uh, well, he, you can't get rid of this guy. And it, there, it, there's a shell game going on just to bring up your own prospects, whether it's uh, Kyle Harrison, whether it's Luis Matos. That's tricky enough, but you're not going to really get a 
just say Marco Scudero type, where he's a solid player. They're just, they're probably not going to be in the market for solid players because the Giants are built out of solid players and they have solid players doing this and doing that. So if it's not a starter and if it's not a really uh, strong reliever and the markets for those two positions are going to be bonkers because like he said, the supply is down. I don't see this being a very active Giants team unless there's a development, unless there's an injury, unless there's something that's okay. Now we clearly need X, Y or Z. I don't see where you fit someone into this roster. Yeah, I mean, it'd have to be like a Shane Bieber or, you know, yeah. like Corbin Burns. But and with the Brewers are obviously not in a position where they're going to be trading anybody, I would think. Um, uh, Bieber, possibly. He's, he's not striking people out at the same rate he was. But, you know, I think a starting pitcher is probably uh, what they would identify as their biggest need. Um, and, and you're right. You know, I, I go back to something that, that Farhan said, um, you know, not long after he was hired by the Giants. He was reacting to the Dodgers trading for Mookie Betts. And he said, you know, that's where you want to get to as an organization where the only move that you can really make that will improve your team uh, is a move like that, where you're going out and you're getting a difference-making superstar player because, you know, otherwise you're not really making a move that's going to make your team better because uh, you've got uh, you've got your, you know, your B-plus players up and down. The roster already, and and maybe this is a, a good sign that the Giants are getting closer, uh, you know, to being in a position like that. Um, not only having you know a little bit more depth throughout their their um, their roster, but also in the upper minors, and you know, having the sort of uh, prospect, I guess, um, uh, the the prospect sort of, I guess, wealth to be able to to make a trade for somebody else's star player. So, um, yeah, I, I think that they are getting closer to that. They obviously haven't arrived. I don't think you say that a team that's 29 and 30 is has really arrived. Um, but uh, they're, I think they're closer to where, to where they want to be than they were uh, even in 2021. Um, and that's that's uh, I think that's probably a good sign. Yeah, it's I mean, it's obviously way, way, way too early. Uh, I do think the play would be another starter uh, with Ross Stripling struggling, Alex Wood on the IL, and he hasn't been great shakes lately. Manaya has looked really, really good in his last, I think, four or five outings. Uh, he He's looking like he might be putting it together. So it's not as if they're desperate uh, in the rotation. But what's surprising me is I'm looking at a bullpen where I'm wondering where you would fit someone in because everyone's pitching well right now with uh, Duvall, the Rogers is, is, we talked about this last time, uh, Brebby Alexander, but now you add Ryan Walker, funky as heck, and Luke Jackson. I don't think that's where you want to, because you'd have to spend a lot of prospect capital to get uh, another reliever that you would feel comfortable with in high leverage situations. So that doesn't seem like it's going to be the play absent another development. The lineup is stuffed. You know, if you want to move on from Brandon Crawford, you have Casey Schmidt right there. If you want to do this, you know, unless uh, Adley Rutschman comes up on the trade market, there just really isn't a place where you can slot in someone right away. Uh, So I think it's going to be a starting pitcher if they're buyers at all. You're right. You look at their bullpen and, you know, they've got Camilo Duvall might be the best closer in the National League right now. He certainly was uh, deserving of NL reliever of the month for May. And they have just so many setup options that you can put on the mound and feel really good about uh, right now. I mean, this bullpen had, I think, the the worst bullpen ERA in the majors, you know, three or four weeks into the season. And, and boy, has that changed. That's really turned around. And it's become what you might argue is the strength of the team at this point. So, um, you know, it, it it definitely will help, I think, them get through this period where they're missing Alex Wood and Ross Stripling. 
Um, you know, I don't know if they feel like they have to call up Kyle Harrison, um, but if they did and they had him, you know, make his major league debut against the Cubs on the next homestand, I, I think I, I wouldn't be shocked by that, but I don't think it's something that they have to do uh, because they've got this, this pitching depth in their bullpen, uh, including some guys capable of going multiple innings. So, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do to get through this uh, from a pitching standpoint, uh, because they they do have John Brebbia pitching an opener uh, in a, a game that I assume Sean Mania will will ha- have a big uh, uh, role in uh, as they open this series in Denver, and then they're going to move up Logan Webb. He's going to pitch the second game, and they're TBA for for the third game. So it could be Alex Cobb, uh, or they could save him to pitch at home and and maybe try to put together another bullpen game and hope that Logan Webb can can uh, give you some length in between those games. Uh, but they've got a lot of different ways that they can go. And um, the, the key is to, to get through this this portion of the season and, and, and not burn anybody out. Um, and I think they've done a pretty good job so far of doing that. And and again, you know, if, if there are some days where the pitchers just need you to score eight runs for them, you got to be able to do that too. Yeah, it's wild to, to have a, a Giants team go into Coors Field and not necessarily worry about where the innings are coming from, even with the bullpen game, because you have Manaya, you have Tristan Beck back up, you have Jacob Junis. You figure you can you can adapt to a lot of different situations when you have those three pitchers ready to go. Um, I know that they've had their ups and downs this year, but it's not it's not a bad place to be in. I still think that that sort of depth and length is going to help the Giants this year because it really has. I haven't run the numbers yet, but it sure feels like I'm not going, gosh, they're throwing this guy out there in the eighth inning, eighth inning again. Oof, okay, let's see if this works. Or, oh boy, they're really working this guy hard. I'm not seeing that. I really don't feel like I'm seeing that this year. Yeah, and then in the other dimension, Brandon Belt is hitting homers off Dominic Leone. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> right? They're doing MVP chants in, in Toronto. Uh, he really isn't that hot. Like, if you if you think this is Brandon Belt getting hot, just wait. Uh, maybe the streakiest player I've ever covered. Uh, Randy Wynn is up there. I'm trying to think of the streakiest of the streaky, but Brandon Belt consistently inconsistent with his streakiness. Yes, Hunter Pence could definitely be streaky, too. Um mm. But Randy Wynn, I think I, I will always associate that one month of September where he got what fifty-one hits and basically got a new Big contract. Group. And Ted Williams, yeah, it was it was like one of the best months I've ever seen anybody non-Barry Bonds category ever have offensively was Randy Wynn in September of what would that have been two thousand five, I guess. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, and also one 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 thing that I loved about Randy Wynn hardly ever um, got caught stealing. Uh, just a really? very, very efficient base runner. Like we're talking Chase Utley, Carlos Beltran level of base running efficiency ahead of his time, Randy Wynn. Yeah, I'm looking him up. And, uh, hot dog, you're right. That is, uh, and that changed when he got to the Giants, and that was his later years. He was, you know, when he was with the Rays and a little bit with the Mariners, he was getting thrown out quite a bit. But as he became an elder statesman, uh, well, now I'm, I have to look it up. From 2007 until his final game, he was, this is uh, 62 stolen bases out of 69 attempts. Wow. That is, a, that is a good ratio. That is a good ratio. So when he became an older statesman, he kind of had that, because like Davey Lopes is always the gold standard. He was never the fastest. He was fast enough, but he was the stolen base whisperer. He was the guy who taught Ricky uh, a lot about what he knew. And, and Davey Lopes just had a sense and it, 
stealing bases isn't just speed. It's uh, it's a lot more to it. And so if you're a guy like Randy Wynn and you get older and you should be slowing down, maybe you're learning a few tricks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 2001, he was stole 12 bases and was caught 10 times. And then, as you say, you get to 2008, he's 34. He steals 25 out of 27. Um, and it's it's sort of just the way the game uh, began to to trend. I mean, there you get rid of all the the hit and run plays where guys get thrown out, and um, and and you you really have it down to a math equation. And and now it's it's to a point where guys aren't necessarily running more, although they're running a little bit more with the rule changes. Um, but their their success rate is the highest it's ever been because they they know they have a better idea how to quantify what's a true gamble, what's a coin flip, and what is okay. If we do everything right, we get a decent jump. Um, you should be safe given the pitcher's time, the pop time, um, everything else you know from your scouting reports. And, you know, Austin Slater, I think, is one of the sort of poster children for just how you can uh, time uh, time it down into a math equation. And and, and he almost never gets thrown out. So um, and it, it's, it's been fun, I think, to see the stolen base come back into the game this year. It, it definitely has added uh, an extra element. I mean, even something as simple as Alex Cobb a couple times. He's went ahead and he did his third throw over where if you don't get the guy out, it's a buck. But he's explained. It's like, look, you know, if, if I don't get Jazz Chisholm uh, off first base here, he, he's got the numbers on me. He's got the math. He's going to steal second base. So this mm. is really my best chance to get him. Um, right. and, and, and if I balk, who cares? He's got the base stolen anyway. Um, you know, he, what he didn't say maybe is that Blake Sable might have been behind the plate, who's obviously has some um, struggles throwing down to second base. But um but yeah, it's, it is interesting to see how people have kind of evolved with these rule changes and, and, and brought a little bit more cat and mouse, a little more strategy back in the game. I, I love that stuff. Yeah, I do too. I, I kind of wish the Giants would take advantage of it a little bit more, but they just don't have the... You can only do so much when you have the team speed that the Giants have. You, Estrada, um, Slater, Yastrzemski to some extent, uh, but you just don't have the, the legs. Before we move on, I just want to point out uh, the last four years of his career ages 36 through age 39. Yadier Molina, 11 for 11 in stolen bases. Bless him. Wow. Wow. How about Albert Pujols? He stole a few. Yeah, he did. He did. I love a sneak attack. A good sneak attack when Bonds would do it like late in his career. I love that stuff. So uh, more sneak attacks. Who's a good sneak attacker on the Giants right now? Jock Peterson. No yeah. question. Brandon yeah. Crawford will do it too sometimes, but Jock, I think he likes when, when pitchers forget about him because he's just over there standing <laughs> on first base, base looking kind of doughy, and then, you know, boom, then he goes. And, and also, it's fun to watch Jock Peterson slide. Brandon Crawford's got... Uh, <laughs> that's a good point. Brandon Crawford's uh, three for three this year, so, you know, uh, I, I did write... Well, I'll go back to him real quick because I wrote earlier this year that when he was in the IL, he's still important to the Giants' plans, and then after that, Casey Schmidt came up and was the Casey Schmidt where it's like, well, clearly he's been Wally pipped. Um, but now that Casey Schmidt's cooling down, I still think Brandon Crawford's really important to the Giants' plans in on both sides of the, the field. I'm just pointing this out. Buster Posey, 23 career stolen bases, only caught nine times. Sneaky speed demon. Uh, Brandon Crawford, you think is important? I do agree with you that Brandon Crawford still has a very important role to play on this team, uh, not just as sort of a figurehead, not just because they need to, you know, gently um, bring this in for a landing in a respectful way, but because he's an important guy for this team. He still is 
um, somebody that they need to produce and uh, and not just be kind of a hood ornament on on this uh, on this roster. And I mean, he's shown he's capable of doing it before when he didn't think he had um, you know much left potentially. I mean, even in the second half last year, I thought he played some really inspired baseball. And so um, and I flash back to. Um, a, a series he had at Coors Field last year where he made basically every play. So maybe that is what awaits us here. Yeah, I just, I look back and I, I'm not saying he should be redo the 2021 season and, and be an MVP candidate, but just, you know, get back to those those years where he was hitting just enough to where you didn't audibly groan when he came up. I, I still think that there's a chance there. I know he's 36, but I don't know. I, I still think there's kind of a chance. All right, this has been episode 233 of the Bags and Brisbee podcast. We will be back next week and we'll figure out uh, what's happened with the Giants and Coors Field. It feels like it hasn't been a house of fours over the last couple of years, so uh, I wouldn't feel too comfortable about that. We'll see what happens and we'll see you then. Thanks for listening. And just to add on one more thought, hum baby. Hum baby. Thanks, Andy. Hum baby. I love it. <laughs> <laughs>